everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where a bunch of writers sit around, drink tasty beverages, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are John Schmidt, Chaz and Karen Brenchley, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 126, Interview with Karen Hicks. Welcome, Karen. Nice to meet all of you. Oh, we are so glad to have you here today. You have written a wide variety of topics. We sometimes get a new people that have written one kind of book or another kind of book, but you have a gamut. You have self-help books. You have a biography, and I'm particularly excited by your biography. You have a little bit of organizational tactics and how to get your life together and spot birds and romance. Did I get it all? That wide, wide variety? You got it. And that pretty much sums me up. I'm like all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's interesting. We have not actually talked to anybody who has gone into either self-help or biographies before. So I love your topic so much. Victoria Woodhull, tell us about your biography of the magnificent first woman to run for president. This was really my passion project. I actually found out about her back in the early 80s. Um, A girlfriend had done a college paper on Victoria Woodall, and she told me about it, and I was just fascinated. And I hated history in school. I just hated it. But I started researching. Of course, this was back in the day, you know, where you had to go to the library and look at microfilm and all that kind of stuff. We didn't have the internet to make it easy. Everybody on this on this podcast remembers those days. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's such a different world now. And so I started and I was getting so much material. And then the hard thing was, how do you condense that into something that's, you know, presentable? And I started, I, I in that one especially, I made spreadsheets. I did Excel spreadsheets. I did it by the people where they were. Um, you know, on the date and what they, even their own words and their thoughts on different keywords, you know, there's topics and stuff. And I put together all these different spreadsheets, historical things that happened so that I could look and say, okay, on this date, this happened with Victoria, but this was also happening in New York at this time. And she was reacting to that. And so I was able to get a, a, a big group, you know, amount of material to work from. And that's kind of how I do it, too. I get a lot of material and then I start cutting. Well, how did you, how did you organize it? Is it chronological or where, do, where did you decide to start telling the story? Well, through several false starts, quite frankly. I first wrote it, uh, the story, as a 13-episode limited series because I was in living in LA then, you know, and writing scripts and that. And so I did that as a, and I, you know, nobody wanted to do that. So then I decided, okay, we'll condense it down. So then I did a six hour miniseries. And again, you know, it just wasn't happening. And so I just, well, okay, I'm going to put it into a book. And again, like I say, several false starts, but it just kind of started all of a sudden when I decided to do a book and I started laying it out, it just kind of fell in, in place from somewhere in the universe that came through me. <laughs> what was your favorite thing you learned about her? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, I, I love that her running mate didn't even know he was her running mate at the time. I know. I know. I think that her, that her she ran on the platform of free love. 
um, which was that, you know, the government, it's impossible for the government to regulate anybody's heart, you know, so they can't tell you who you should love and who you shouldn't love, which again is a relevant topic even today. You know? what, what, what year was this? For Victoria? Yeah. 1872. And she was running on free love. Yeah. That's adorable. I know, right? <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? And of course, you know, it was funny because when I originally started, I was going to put this into a book. I thought, well, maybe I should just take her life and take it, but extrapolate it into modern times and how she would be. And I realized she was just too outrageous. <laughs> Even, you know, for modern times, she could just be herself and she'd still be outrageous. <laughs> yeah. She was just something. She was one of a kind, let me tell you. But she was very smart. You know, she was on Wall Street. She had her own newspaper. It was like, you know, you close that door to me. OK, I'm going to just go and open it and go in by myself. I, I loved her creativity that way. I mean, I yeah. always imagined her being a one act play like. We went, I went to go see John Luguzamo do History of Latin America for Morons, mm -hmm. <laughs> at which everyone should see, because I learned a lot about things I didn't know about Latin American history. But she could so much introduce so many, you know, especially if somebody was willing to go and wear the whole crinoline and come out and say, in my, when I'm born, <laughs> you can't do any of this shit. Well, you know, and back then, I mean, women were property of men. You know, they could beat them as long as, you know, the the term rule of thumb that you've heard, that came yep. back to back there. The law said a man could beat his wife as long as the stick wasn't any bigger than his thumb or, you know, the, the diameter of his thumb. So how thoughtful. Yeah. I know. And she but she was like, she refused to do that. You know, she said, I'm going to this marriage isn't working out. She had a husband that was a drunk, you know, so she said, I'm going to divorce him. You know, they try to say, you can't get divorced. Well, I'm going to divorce him. <laughs> I did for her. You know, and it's like women have rights. You know, she was actually the first woman to address Congress, the House of Representatives, and went in there and said, read the 14th and 15th Amendments. We already have the right to vote. It doesn't specify that it has to be men. You know, it's true. she wanted people to say, just exercise your right. I... And that's one of the things I love so much about her is pointing out that you have these rights, you should do them. You were, I mean, I also love that she had obscenity charges against her, but really yeah. <laughs> that, that went all the way through, you know, modern, modern comedians. I mean, appreciate the, uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel for talking about how many times was Lenny Bruce arrested for saying fuck on stage or wow. yeah. Every time. <laughs> Pretty much every time, but she was anti-slavery and that was new and very into civil rights and women's rights. And yeah. yeah she had Frederick Douglass was the person that they chose to be her running mate, her vice president. Oh, yeah. And she didn't actually ask him. I think he was got <laughs> signed up first, didn't he? Something like that. Yeah. Well, they voted on him, you know, the Equal Rights Party, who were the, the, was the party that formed to nominate her. And they they voted and decided on him. And yeah, I think, I think he didn't know about it, you know, but <laughs> I guess that's the way they did it back then. I don't know. Yeah. And her, I, her first husband, in case anybody out there is, I'm trying to lure them to buy your book and read it. Her first husband was a doctor when doctors didn't require formal medical education or licensing. <laughs> oh, <exactly. laughs> 
and the man actually delivered her first baby and she was like young you know i think she was still a teenager 15 16 yeah yeah, and delivered it it was cold in chicago in the winter time he left her in a non-heated flat after he delivered and tied off the cord wrong so she was bleeding and needed help and he went off and lived with his mistress Uh oh you know, so as soon as she got well, what did she do? She packed up the baby and she went over to the boarding house where the mistress was. And she walked in the door and said, that's my husband. And grabbed him pretty much by the ear to bring him home. I would have left him there. Yeah, me too. <laughs> also, there was such an interesting case that was even brought. If you look at modern, the discussion of marital rape, it is not illegal in all 50 states. Yeah. And she was some of the first one that started talking about, we are not sexual slaves here. Yeah. I can own and control my own sexual organs. I have a inalienable right to love and to do things and to choose. And I think it's huge. She was, she was absolutely groundbreaking. Yeah, that speech was just absolutely remarkable. And yeah. So forthright. Yes, I'm a free lover. I have the right to love who I want for as long as I want. And there's nothing you can do about it for her. Yeah. She was feisty. Don't we wish we had that much guts? Oh, totally. (laughs) So so if we can get technical for a bit. Sure. um, And we can talk more about how wonderful she was later. But I'm I'm just curious about the process of um, publishing a biography. Uh, You wrote it first, I gather. How did you approach publishers with it? Um, I just did a little short synopsis and in a cover letter and just sent it out, you know, and I got a lot of rejections, of course, you know, and then sure. finally, um, James down at Sartora, he, he wrote me back right away and he said, oh, I like the energy of this. This is really, I like this a lot. And I mean, he went to work and published it right away. So Fabulous. We, well, did talk- we, we, haven't, we, haven't, we haven't done a thing yet. What's it called? Oh, The Coming Woman? That yeah. One? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because that and that that phrase came from her announcement of her candidacy for president, where she oh, was, oh fabulous, you know, the yeah. green woman, what she will and will not do. Uh-huh. And I, I, I like the double entendre of it, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, we got that. Yes. Uh, well, I I went to Mount Holyoke College, the first women's college in the oh, United yeah. States, and. Uh, we were called uncommon women. So I like the coming women, woman. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I like uncommon woman too. Yeah. Well, let's, let me drift over a little bit to something. I mean, you did the research and all this pieces. You've written two books, The Tao of the Uncluttered Life mm-hmm. and Life is for the Birds. So clearly you have interests both in kind of Marie Kondoing your world and bird watching too. That's right. So, Tell me a little bit about some of those books, because those are very much, you know, research. How do you put it together when you're talking about it's nonfiction, but it's, you know, meditation, a little bit of hope, a little bit of organization. You've kind of covered a really wide gamut there. Yeah, the the Dow of an Uncluttered Life, that was my first book. And actually, Steve Allen is the one that encouraged me to write that, because when I worked for him, he kept saying how unorganized I was, and you should write a book, you know, and everything. So, Wait, did he say how organized or how unorganized? Oh, I was very, I'm a very organized person. Excellent. And he, he's a very organized person, so we got along really great on that way. And so he kept telling me, you know, you need to write a book and be an organized and stuff. So I took just stuff I learned over the years and I started thinking about it and it was 
um, after I had left him and moved to Georgia that I actually was able to publish that book. And he was kind enough to write a foreword for me. So that was very nice of him. Should, should I know who Steve Allen is? He's a, a comedian. He's an author. He's written, gosh, 40, 45 books. Oh, um, then I should. Yeah, he, he actually started The Tonight Show. Yeah, that's where I know okay. him from. Yeah, you, Chaz has not lived in the United States for that long. I'm not immersed in the culture. He's British, yes. <laughs> yeah, well, Steve Allen is, is an old-timer. He's, he's gone now, unfortunately. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, you know, he was, he was a comedian. He was a songwriter. He wrote thousands of songs. Um, he was just a real Renaissance man, you know, and everything. Right. He worked as his manuscript coordinator <laughs> and helped him. Um, I, I think you would like his vulgarians at the gate, trash TV and raunch radio, Chaz. <laughs> it's very <Okay>. pointed. <laughs> Thank you. Karen, have you thought of actually writing a book about Steve Allen? I'm just going to ask that. Oh. Hmm, that would be interesting. No, I have never thought of that. Maybe that's what I'll do next. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, if you are to lose end, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's well enough known, and you're right. I know, I know of him, and uh, I've known about him for years and years. And uh, he was a, you know, he he was a, a very interesting person, and he was funny, and he did all these things. So yeah. What I thought was really interesting is when I wrote all pretty much. From, I don't know, by the time when after I graduated from high school, I'll say, I started, I carry a little tape recorder with me all the time. So that if I get an idea, I tape record it. You know, if I need to do something, I tape record it. And then I, every morning I kind of transcribe the tapes and see where I stand and everything. And, and actually, um, Crystal Dreams, the one first romance novel, I started writing that driving from Nashville to Texas. And just on the tape recorder, the, the stuff would just come to me as I, you know, you're in the car. What are you going to do? You're not going anywhere. So I was actually going to, I was going to ask that of how you connect your, your, your Tao of the uncluttered life and organization and getting things done and how you applied that to your romance novels, for instance. So, yeah, so walk us through a little bit. What's your, what's your process there on the uh, fiction? On the fiction, um, well, I, I got these ideas of, a girlfriend of mine, of mine and I were sitting and we were talking about maybe we would write a romance novel together or something. And we kind of kicked around the idea and kind of talked about these two characters and stuff and got a little bit, but we never pursued it. And so after the fact, I went back and all of a sudden these characters started talking to me and they were telling me their story. And, and so, and, they literally would not let me go until I wrote three books about it. Uh, Excellent. That's fair. That's fair. It's totally fair. Um, coming back briefly, because I, I, I jitter around all over the place. Coming back briefly to The Coming Woman, you mm -hmm. can't have been the first person to write a biography of her, surely? No, there were some. In fact, there was one that was written just shortly after she died that I used for reference. And there has been right. a couple others that have been... Um, written about her and her sister both because they were kind of like a pair. Her sister was something else too, boy. She <laughs> smoked cigars with the guys and hung out. And she was like, her and her sister um, did a, used to go and see Cornelius Vanderbilt, who was the big railroad and shipping tycoon, probably the richest man in America right then. And they would do hold seances with him and help him contact his mother and, then Tenny started dating him 
well, dating, I don't know, yeah. but she, you know, whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah, she became his lover. And she had a lot of lovers. She was kind of like a little bit of a hussy herself. She was an interesting character. God bless uh, you for it. She wasn't a hussy. She was a free lover. There you go. If you state it right up front, just like uh, Darwin's grandfather, uh, no one can claim you're a hypocrite. So, <laughs> but that's what I loved about them. You know, I loved that they were they were just out there, and they yeah. Um, but did you? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting technical again. Did you read all the biographies you could find? I did. Right, and I mean, did th- that didn't interfere with your own process of figuring out what you wanted to say about her and how you wanted to say it? And no, because most of them were written as biography. Yeah, I wrote mine as a novel. Oh, okay. We haven't said that yet. <laughs> yeah, I wrote mine as a novel, so you're not reading it as a biography, as a fiction thing. You're reading it as a novel. Right. Okay, cool. And that's how I separated myself. And as far as all the other ones, yes, I read them all. And what I did is I called from them, you know, different things that they had done for my spreadsheets. And then what I used and didn't use or whatever. Right. Did you actually get into like the Mrs. Satan? Because that was always one of my favorite lines. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. In fact, when I originally wrote it, I was going to call it Mrs. Satan and her sister was my original title. But there was another one. Yeah. Called that. Um, really? Who, who called her Mrs. Satan? Um, oh, they did back then. Thomas Nash was a big political um, cartoonist back then. Okay. Yeah. He's the one that came up with Uncle Sam. And he's oh. the one I think, that came up with Santa Claus, the image that we have in America. And he pretty much dubbed her Mrs. Satan. He did a political cartoon of her and dubbed her Mrs. Satan. She got a little bit of the same treatment as, you know, historically George Sand did of her in in Paris. Yes, absolutely. Of the, you know, no marriage is safe from her. She is a wicked, wild woman. And yeah, I like that you, you made her human, though. And that's important to that. She was just a gal. Truffed in tough circumstances, discovered she was married to a complete humbug. And what did what did she do? Well, you can suffer in silence. You can go do something about it. So, you you made it you made it a story of a gal who's just trying to get by that has a few dreams and a little bit of fire in her belly. And I love it. Exactly. And then, you know, when she was went to New York, she she had a vision of a house in New York that drew her to New York and she found the house just as she had envisioned it. And she got married again to a, a, a Civil War colonel. And he was very supportive of her. He was like, you know, in fact, he he loved her till the day he died. And she ended up cutting him loose eventually. And she actually ended up moving to England. In, the, in her later life and married very wealthy and became one of the head people who owned one of the biggest banks in England. Really? Yeah. When, what, what date was this, roughly? Oh, this was, well, she died in 1920. Gosh, it's been so long since I've done the book now. Let me think that. Huh. Um, she died in 1929, I think. Right. Um, which bank? I'm going to say, well, you have to read the book to find out all about that. Excellent. <laughs> I can do that. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious because my grandfather worked for one of the major banks of England, and and it would be lovely if it was the same one. I didn't know that too. Like, it's like 
What's his name? Martin. His name was Martin. His last name was Martin. Now, you also have, so not just novels, you've written a collection of short stories. Yes. And that's one of my favorite books. I had fun with that. And they're all, I don't know if you looked at any of them, but they're all um, kind of like with a, a O. Henry twist to them. A little, a, a little bit. It's called The Twelfth of Never and Other Stories. Uh-huh. Now, I understand from, I was looking in your website, the Where's George story was an actual real life case. Yes, I, I saw an article in the, in the national paper, um, the national banner when I was living there and about this man who disappeared. And the story just fascinated me. And so I started researching. I drove the roads that they, you know, where they said he had gone and where he had disappeared and all this. And I, I contacted um, the lady who had written the article for the newspaper and talked to her and I actually ended up getting um, Unsolved Mysteries involved. And they actually came to Nashville and did a story about it. Oh, wow. Um, based on, you know, the, the short story that I wrote about it. So, um, yeah, it was just, and they never did find him. They never found out what happened to him ever. And his wow. wife was just the sweetest, such a sweet old lady. Oh, my God. She was just a honey. And I just felt so sorry for her. Yeah, but what if she was the one who did him in? <laughs> she had gone to Ohio. She had gone to Ohio to visit her family okay. when it happened. And he was on his way to pick her up. And oh, on, that's such an obvious alibi, though. It's got to be <laughs> Yes. Oh, yes. Well, this was, was this at a time... I mean, when we're talking about free love, there was a time where spousal murder was fairly high because nobody got divorced. And it is a coincidence, I'm sure, that when divorces become more reasonable, accepting, and everybody does it, spousal murder rate has plummeted since that became okay. <laughs> I got not married. So... Well, this was like, this happened in, in like the late 80s or something, but they were just a sweet old couple. He had been a minister of a church. And then when he retired, he was an old man. I think he probably had Alzheimer's, got, you know, or dementia or something kind of hit him and, and he just wandered away. Um, it was just. So, so you like mysteries is what I'm just, in one way or another, investigating somebody in the past. These are all kind of mysteries, aren't they? Yeah, I guess they are. And I read a lot of mysteries, which is really interesting. I just... Are there mysteries in your dream series as well? Well, kind of, but not really. Uh, no. no, it's not really a mystery. It's um, it's more Hollywood in <laughs> dream series. It's like an actor, and then there's the woman is a, is a PR agent and stuff. So it's more more okay. along my, my Hollywood experience. Uh huh. Is this short stories again, or novels, or? Um, well, no. These are the three. I have a, a what I call it my dream series. It's three novels about the same characters, um, yeah. Ken and Canaan. Yeah, and, those are those are your romances, right? Yes. Crystal oh. dreams, amethyst dreams, and jaded dreams. Excellent. Correct. And they met. They actually dreamed of each other before they meet. Okay. Oh wow. And when they meet, he's in disguise because he's famous you know so he doesn't want anybody to know who he is so he's in disguise when they meet and of course then she feels betrayed when she finally finds out who he is because she's already fallen in love with him. And then the second book um is when they uh get married 
And then they do a road trip across the country from Nashville to Hollywood. And that was really researched. <laughs> it's funny because I've had a couple people that have read the book say, I want to do that road trip. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> really, they really stopped. And, and I, I did the whole thing where, you know, how long it took them to drive there. And they did motorcycles. And it was kind of, um, you know, it kind of involved that. And then they get to Hollywood and everything. And then they start. And then in Jaded Dreams, they have some of the usual problems of marriage. And there's a tragedy. Now, I'm going to mention you got to read the book to find out what it is. But it kind of throws them into a whole off kilter and into a loop for a long time. And, you know, then the question is, can they overcome it? Well, hopefully, if it's a romance novel, they do overcome it. So fingers crossed. Well, you know, romance novels, you got to have a happy ending. But, you know, it's, in, you know, it's still interesting. Freedom, you know, it's going to ha- turn out that way. But it's you still know, interesting to see how you get there. Yeah. I think that's why people read them. I mean, honestly, it's. Yeah. I want something to go well, even if it's just in the next 200 pages. Exactly. Yeah. I want a happy ending. You know, you got to have those happy endings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to have troubles along the way. And it's all about the journey. And growth, you know, learning about each other and that, you know, and he is a, he is a quarter Hopi Indian. So I used a lot of shamanism and stuff in there too. Cool. Little twist for it, you know, to, to do the, um, you know, when he's studying, like in the first book, he has a he has a mentor that he goes and studies with and all this and learns all this stuff. And then, you know, he kind of teaches her some of the rituals and stuff that they do. And yeah, so that was kind of interesting to learn about, too. Yeah, I for one, it was recently on a political and by recently, I mean, in the last few years, I saw that the official Siberian shaman had come down to bless the courtroom area because there were so many negative spirits associated with, you know, between law and corruption and anger and guilt and crime that they called in the shaman to come clear out the courthouse. And I kind of thought that was cool. Yeah, it's extremely yeah. lovely. Uh, plus the fact that there was an official Siberian shaman. Well, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, it made me wonder. I mean, when we talk about people that came over from the bridge across, you know, Siberia and Alaska and down, you know, how if you start looking at the shaman traditions for northern Asiatic areas versus uh, going north, the Inuits and um, I guess Salish closer along the Washington coast. Please forgive me out there if I'm saying it wrong. What, how related are they? How close are they in traditions? It is a, a complicated calculation relying mostly on the fact that our ethnography of shamans kind of sucks. But one of the big things is, is that they are all, it's a mystical tradition often involving a drum trance and occasionally psychedelics. The drum trance you can do anywhere. The psychedelics are kind of uh, area dependent you don't get the same mushrooms anywhere coming all the way back around you're talking millennium of history too so the shift over time is quite large absolutely but the best headline i ever saw was apparently um alexander Gabashev walked um went to walk eight thousand kilometers to, from Yakutsk to Moscow in order to expel the demon Vladimir Putin. And that was the best headline ever. <laughs> it's an excellent headline. It didn't work, did it? 2019, it didn't. But that doesn't, maybe it's because he wasn't allowed to continue. But we all hope for the best for him. Yes. 
So what are you working on now? Are are you, um, we've all found it, except Chaz, who's like annoyingly amazing. We've all found it harder to work during the time of COVID. How's your writing gone in the past couple of years? Well, actually, COVID, during COVID, I actually wrote the last two romance novels. So I did two books last year. So that kind of burned me out a little bit. And then when I moved from Nevada to Arizona, I'm, I did that in July, so I'm just still kind of getting my... Oh, my then no one should out. expect anything new out of you right now. Happy moving and sorting. <laughs> well, no, it's not to happen. How, how it happens for me is that some little thing will trigger an idea. Like, for example, talking on a podcast and us saying, oh, you should totally write about Steve Allen. Exactly. And then it sits in my brain as I go about my life, and it's and I get almost grouchy sometimes. It's almost like a woman in labor, you know, or something. <laughs> that book's trying to come out, and it's just swirling around in my brain, swirling around, you know, and eventually just I'll sit down one day, and it'll just pour out of me. And then I just write, and I'm, like, obsessed, and I don't do anything, and I just write, 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 and I get, like, 2,000 pages you know, of what I want to say. And then, you know, I'm a believer of the best writing is editing. And then I go back and start editing and cutting and, you know. And reshaping and yada, da, da, da. Um, 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 so how much time do you spend researching beforehand as against the actual writing of that first draft? Well, like on the Victoria Woodall project, yep. I had to do a lot of, I mean, I researched for years. Right. And, you know, and yeah. and how long did it write the book? But the book, well, the thing is, now with the internet, man, I could just get on and say, okay, I want to do this in a scene. You know, I kind of knew what the scene was going to be because I, I do a little outline with just a little paragraph or two of what each scene is going to be and the progression. So then I go, okay, I want to do this scene. Okay, and then I hop on the internet and do my research and you know, get get what I need for that. And it is know, faster that way simultaneously. Well, we will put links to all of your books that we've been mentioning on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. Karen, thanks so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed having you. I enjoyed being here. It was fun getting to know you people and talking to you. And um, anytime you want me to come back, you just let me know. Oh, well, we're definitely going to have to come talk to you again about uh, future topics, especially if you get writing on Steve Allen, because I love him and he was one of my grandmother's favorites. So, uh, yeah. And it would be the first time we'd actually officially inspired a book. <laughs> I know. Boy, there's a lot to say about him, too. But So much. You know, and working with him was, I worked for him off and on for 10 years, so. Wow. Um, that would be a really interesting book. That's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Okay. Got me thinking now. (laughs) Thanks so much, Karen. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs and your favorite coffee shop right down the street. Go visit them today. And hey, thanks for listening. Thanks.